The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. Mike, I can assume that you're not a huge user of makeup uh, or cosmetics, but I understand that you are just as excited as I am to have Jen Harper on the show, uh, founder uh, of Cheekbone Beauty. Yes, I would. You're <laughs> correct in your assumption. You're correct in your other assumption that I was very excited to have Jen on on the show this week. It was uh, it was incredible talking to Jen, learning more about her story uh, and just how impactful it's been. You know, she started the company and I think she said 2014. So again, she's, she hasn't been at it for very long, but she's already, I think seeing, you know, the fruits of her labor and, and the impact that it's having with, you know, indigenous community, indigenous people across Canada and now, you know, into the United States and eventually I'm sure across the world. Um, so it was just really great to chat with her again. I think, um, you know, it was, uh, I'm trying to think of the word that I was trying to describe, the metaphor I had in my head right now, but I'm actually kind of at a loss for words. Well, that's okay. I know someone that won't be at a loss for words and that's Jen Harper. And we'll go to the interview with her right now. All right, we're back and we're now joined by Jen Harper. Uh, Jen is the founder of Cheekbone Beauty. Uh, she was born in Thunder Bay, Ontario and relocated to the Niagara region where she was raised and developed a passion for cosmetics. For Jen, makeup has become a means of expression that she feels has amazing power. There needed to be a brand that was made in Canada that was never tested on animals, free of parabens, and that gave back to the First Nations community. Uh, the brand, that brand did not exist, so Jen created it and created Cheekbone Beauty, and now she is joining us on The Unlikely Innovators. Jen, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, and thanks for joining us. Um, so typically, uh, you know, we start with a kind of like a you know, what did you want to be when you grow up uh, question, but we were, we sort of remarked in some of the background we were doing on you. Cheekbone Beauty actually came to you in a dream. Uh, the, the sort of impetus for creating it. If, if I would have acted on all of the dreams that I've had, I think I would have been a rather misguided business person. So can you tell us a bit about the dream and how you acted upon it and brought it to fruition? Yeah, for sure. So full disclosure, not a vision because because i'm native i think some people think it was like this vision i'm like no this was like middle of the night pop out of bed remembering <laughs> a dream and i've only literally had two vivid dreams in my entire life so i'm not like you steve i don't have tons of dreams um i had one when i was like seven about a rope man who scared the crap out of me and I, it was like a serious nightmare but still remember <laughs> remember that guy to this day and it was this dream about native little girls and there was three native little girls covered in lip gloss and they were giggling and laughing uh and that's what i remember the most and i always say it's not like in the dream it's like you will build cheekbone beauty and this is what it'll look like so that was what happened but at the same time i'm always super honest that i was going through something really transitional powerful in my life it was this crazy intersection so newly sober had battled alcoholism for many years so november 26 got sober 2014 i have this dream in january of 2015 so very very newly um on my healing journey and at the same time, I was learning at a, as a 38-year-old woman about the residential school system and how both of my grandparents went through that system and how it was just this insane aha moment of like, holy cow, I am not screwed up. My family's not screwed up. We're not dysfunctional for, for no valid reason. There's lots of dysfunction, of course, but I'm sure, and I, and I know every family struggles in, in, in that way, but really just understanding that 
this was a systematic um, and intentional way to destroy my my Anishinaabe people and, and my grandparents were affected by that, which was then passed on from generation. We've learned it's called generational or transgenerational trauma. So me, my children, we're still affected by this today, as well as many First Nations, Métis and Inuit people. Uh, and we are, you know, I, I like to say, when I learned that, I thought, well, in, in, in my community, my friends, not Indigenous, white, none of us, like we went to elementary school, high school, my fancy, really smart friends who went off to university and, and sort of did postgraduate degrees, they, in, in, and who happened to have taken a course on Indigenous history, may have learned it in university, but none of us in my age group knew anything about this, and I found that to be so shocking, and then also, it was like, okay, well, I don't know much about anything, I don't have any great skills, I was in sales for my career, and I was in the food industry for my entire career, and thought, if I could make this product, which was this lip gloss, was the original idea, <laughs> use a portion of the profits to support my community I was a huge fan of like this this new idea of social enterprise like Tom shoes at the time that's who I and I've always loved Patagonia and and their purpose-driven brand building and vision um I was like well maybe I could do this with makeup and and I've never seen myself represented in the beauty space and and perhaps that needs to exist and so I thought I didn't start exactly who, how we are today, but I started using white label, private label, which is super common because of globalization, but found a great partner in, in Toronto. Um, and that's how I had to start because we, we had no money and no, no, uh, nothing really. Um, but it was a great way to prove that the market wanted this to exist. And that's, it just kept obviously used to sales and it's all about numbers and growth and just seeing the growth year over year. I was like, wow, people like this was on the side. I was doing this. And then in that first year, it was like 125 K and I was like, this is just like what I'm doing on the weekends. Like <laughs> what, what could happen if I actually had support and, and could make this some into something. Very powerful dream. <laughs> um, it was, was it one of those dreams where like you woke up and that you started your day. Like, I, I feel like I've had dreams where, you have these vivid dreams, but then you go back to sleep. And if you don't write them down, who knows when they'll ever come back into your mind again. But was it something that just obviously stayed with you? How did, uh, what was the process like for him after having that to when, you know, you decided to maybe there's something to this, I need to figure out a way to put this into practice. So it, it literally grabbed my laptop that night. And I remember writing out the ideas because I knew I didn't want to lose it. And mm -hmm. it felt really important. Um, then went about my like normal life, but it was just like dancing around my head constantly. When you're in sales, my territory was Southern Ontario. I would just drive around all day and thinking about this. And then all, all of the market research would happen in the evening. And so here's what's really interesting too. So that initial like ideation, um, it, and I was sharing it with my family, right? And no one said, this is crazy. Like you mm -hmm. don't know anything about beauty. And so the funny thing about that is, possibly if I wasn't just recovering from alcoholism, 
they might have said that. And the reason was, I think they were all like, okay, she's not drinking. Like, let's just let her build this imaginary cosmetics company she thinks she's building. Uh, and nobody like stopped it. And I think that's a really powerful part of this. Our sto- My story is just because sometimes I know, know when you, someone tells me an idea, I'm mm-hmm. so careful not to say anything. Because I think that that's what stop so many big dreams from actually mm-hmm. coming true is like and and I was so naive like I knew nothing like I only realized now six years in how much I didn't know in those first few years um but that that being that naive I think also is what has made us successful um and entering an industry you know all of these founders you'll that I, I was just at Sephora's brand um fair this week and I'm I'm like in awe that I'm this brand that like started in a corner of my basement with no experience in the beauty industry and all of the founders that I meet and talk to, Oh, I worked at L'Oreal. I, you know, they've (laughs) all are like industry veterans built other brands and I like know nothing. Like I'm not kidding. No, absolutely nothing. And I'm in, I'm in awe, but I'm also so proud because I'm proud um, that it's possible. Not, I don't want to say proud in a way that I'm so special. Look at me. Look what I've done. This is like, I'm so proud because Indigenous kids are going to go, well, she didn't know anything about this and look what she was able to accomplish. And and I think that's what makes me the proudest. Mm-hmm. Well, bef- before, because we want to ask you like, again about your journey and, and, and from that dream to actually scaling up and, and developing the company. But before that, maybe for our listeners and viewers who you know haven't discovered Cheekbone Beauty yet, can you talk a little bit more about the brand itself and what the three guiding principles are for it? Yeah. So our brand is our mission and vision is to help every indigenous person uh, see and feel their value in the world. Well, we craft sustainable color cosmetics that don't end up in a landfill and you know, you're if you when you're building a brand and brand takes time to build right so i now see from where we started to where we are um but the whole idea about our brand and what really makes us different in in business one and then specifically in the beauty industry is they've taken all of the teachings from my anishinaabe roots and incorporated that in how to build a business and it's it's very like well, let's say soft skills or um they're values and principles that my community has used for thousands of years to guide their everyday life. And I'm like, well, how can we use these one, the seven grandfather teachings, we've incorporated that into three pillars, which are our core values, but there's things like love, humility, respect, bravery, um, and, and adding that in, uh, you know, being courageously curious, like using courage to, to like have that uh, for the team to say, no, just like think pine that like adding that in there, being led by love, which is very strange. Like we look at our community, which we call our customer. Um, this is not transactional. Let's look at everything we do without expectation of them, right? Because to us as Indigenous people, this is how we define love. It's like doing things for people that can never pay you back, which is in how we treat people as well as the planet. And humility in business, very hard. Um, it's not a word that gets talked a lot about, but um, uh, I constantly say it, like every person that we engage with and have a conversation with supplier, vendor, customer, community, partner, um, they know something a lot more about something than we know. And and it really always engaging it from that, that perspective. Uh, and then how we work with each other, everybody we work with, no matter what 
position you're in in the company, they know something that you don't. And if we engage with each other that way constantly, they we can um, always have that vein of humility throughout, throughout our organization. And so building a company, I think, with those values and principles is so important. People ask, how do you make decisions? I'm like, well, we always go to our values and principles and that's, and that, and that's been like our guiding, our guiding sort of star the whole time. So important to have a very clear thesis uh, for what you want to do. Right. Um, I'm going to, I often, uh, I'm obsessed with businesses, Jen. And I think uh, um, I always want to know like sort of the inside baseball on things. And you, you talked about in one of your earlier answers about uh, white labeling, we sort of had a question about uh, like, how does one even figure out how to manufacture lipstick and and, and cosmetics and makeup? Like, how, like you know, you you, you want to have it like white label partners early on, and then transition to making your own stuff. How does that? How does someone who's not really in that industry? You were mentioning other folks from L'Oreal and things like that. How do you get acclimated into that? How does how does a nuts and bolts take care of itself like that? Yeah. No, um, so here's the funny thing about the whole beauty industry. I, it, if you were to pay attention and, and, and likely you're, you, you're not, but just because it's a different, it's an industry not guided towards, you're probably not the one where those kinds of ads are, are being put towards, but um, it is actually relatively simple to start a beauty brand. And the reason is, is private label. So even like below white label is what they call private label. And that is organizations. You can find them on Alibaba, um, which I do not encourage. And I don't say this is a great way to start a brand. Um, because knowing what I know now that you can start something and it's, it's not going to go anywhere. I can, I can 100% assure you of that. Um, because it's anyone can do it. That's the thing, right? So their packaging, their formulation, they're slapping your logo on it. It's almost like when you go to a conference and you're getting a pen and you put a logo. So mm-hmm. beauty, skincare, hair care, makeup, that is available and rife for the the purchasing any from anywhere around the world. You can have it done in Canada or you can have it in a country where the laws and regulations are far, far below what, what the Canadian standards are. Um, so it wasn't hard. So that's how we started. Um, and it was in that first year and I, I knew this was not the product I wanted to put into the world. I was testing the brand mm. and that was all. And I had to really swallow a lot of my own pride in what, I, what kind of products I would use or want. Not that the products were bad and it, it actually got worse along the way because as I was learning and I would start asking these partners question, where do you source your mica? Where is your shea butter coming from? Um, and, and no one would give you answers because they're not going to tell you because some human being in another part of the world is impacted negatively when someone can't tell you their supply chain and be transparent about it. And, and as a brand, it's not like I'm going to tell you all the details, but I can share with you certifications that now prove all of our raw ingredients, our packaging, that human beings, like we just became a B Corp certified company last year, which is probably the thing I'm, the, one of the things I'm the most proud of as a founder. Um, in and, and that means we have a legal obligation to both people and the planet before profits. And so what B Corp does really well is it aligns with our indigenous value systems. So thinking about that it, business doesn't have to be all about the dollar. Um, yes, you can have a healthy, beautiful company, uh, but it 
honestly, at the end of the day right now, we're not just here to answer to stakeholders. And those are people that only come around to invest, to make a buck. Mm -hmm. Those aren't our investors. And so we're so, and I know how rare and fortunate, I was like, when I think of being fortunate, uh, women don't get their companies invested in very often. I think it's like less than 8% and indigenous women, it's like 0.00001% of indigenous women actually ever have their businesses invested in. And so we are the fortunate recipients of investment, but our investors are indigenous led as well, which has made a massive world of difference for us. And when I now know what the investment world looks like in terms of what returns you have to have for back um, and, and the expectations and we align on values and what Raven Capital is, is a social impact investor. So they're in this with us to make a difference socially as well as build a healthy business. Um, and I know we're, we're super fortunate to have that, but it was only with their investment. So we started out using that system. I have this idea and how you know, how I shop, what products I use um, was more sustainable. Um, when I was in the food world, if you talk to any of my old customers or clients, I was always selling them a better, more sustainable option. One, it's a great story that they can put on their menus. Um, and, and two, it's something that they can feel proud about putting out into the world. But also, it's something that I cared about passionately. And, and I knew that would eventually weave into Cheekbone Beauty, but that couldn't happen straight away. We had to prove the brand's mm -hmm. concept. And then the investor, Raven, was there listening, waiting. And then we were able to start working with them and then build our sustainable brand to what it is today. It's so important to find uh, investors that are recipient or uh, that are receptive to pitches like that. And I mean, I think that if there's, uh, um, I, we were going to ask you a question about um, how does one, how does one pitch a cosmetics company in such a uh, sort of crowded marketplace? Um, it, I guess you have to focus on key differentiators uh, in the brand, right? Uh, because if, if the sort of, not necessarily the quality is equalized, but if the quality is available to brands, you're competing on brand essentially in the, in the marketplace. Is that right? Absolutely. And so what I think the key beauty investment drivers are is, are they a celebrity or an influencer? Right. It doesn't even come down to product. Right. <laughs> and, and, or like how much time have they had in the industry and, or right now, which I think is finally changing its innovation and they're looking at biotechnology sort of based ingredients. Are they, are they doing something that's truly innovative and has like IP potential and properties in it? But the number one thing they look at is who is founding the brand. Right. For sure. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I also wanted to touch on, and this is of course, uh, a vein that's woven through the entire company, of course, but representation is key to cheekbone beauty. How important do you think it is for indigenous girls and women to see themselves in the brand? And, and, and how do and I, I know that the, the answer is utmost, but, but, but what are the strategies that, that are so overt in the brand that you use to, to make sure that that that's always true? Yeah, I, I think so because we're beauty, it's like obviously visual, it's models um, and, and the type of faces that we have representing the brand really, really do matter. Um, and, and obviously is the lead, my voice and, and, uh, image around the brand as well. 
but it, it, it's so it, I have this conversation a lot and especially this last year and because we can't quantify like social impact where I find this very difficult is, is what we're doing, making a difference. I honestly believe it is um, on so many levels when a really powerful, ex- interesting experience happened. I t- I've talked about how much representation matters from the begin the inception of the brand. And I didn't actually know what that felt like until this past June or what that meant until I had this personal experience. Um, Sephora Canada helped us with a campaign called hashtag lost over. We were, we're in 15 Sephora stores in Canada and I visited all the locations and the Eaton Center location had paid for a massive billboard that's in the center of the mall when you look up. And it was, this is like the size of a transport truck. So I walk in the Eaton Center that morning and I was just like blown away because I'm like, holy cow, this is nuts. Like we didn't pay for that. They paid for this. Um, and it was just, I think for me, it was like, it like it was it, it was so awesome like just to see that our brand up and have such a big presence in the mall and as a little girl like grew up in native public housing and would visit my dad in Scarborough and I would always want to go to the Eaton Center uh, and <laughs> so going there as a little girl not once ever did I even imagine me owning operating a brand that works with an organization like Sephora that wasn't even a thought in my mind and then that evening we had an event in the Sephora Eaton Center where we're applying blush to customers and meeting community and this little girl who's Anishinaabe like me comes in with her family and she's like 12 or 13 and just like the spunkiest sweetest little girl talking about her TikTok account and her brother shutting her down and they were just having a great time. But when I was driving back to St. Catharines that night, I was like, oh my God, like, holy crap. These two kids, this 12 and 13 year old are only gonna wonder what's possible for them because mm. they just met someone who looks like them, who comes from the same kind of community they come from that has a brand available in Sephora. And on such an underlying subconscious level, I don't think we know the power of representation until you know, it's like I, I've said, maybe we're just planting the seed of that tree eventually that they're going to feel the shade later on. I know that's a mess up of that quote, but you know what I meant? Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. I was like, we, we're, maybe we're not going to see it right away. Like this is, this is, I'm just get to be, I get the, the blessing and the fortune to be a part of starting this because I'm not the only Indigenous brand founder. There's, there's many out there now with businesses that are going to grow and be amazing as well. And so I think this is just the start of something really, really special. It's like, we need to see ourselves and who knows my, what my life would have looked like had that happened for me. Right. And so what we can do now really, really matters. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. It's almost like, I think, you know, down the road, it's when those kids come of age and they go into their endeavors and they, and somebody asks them, what made you want to go into whatever business you're in or take whatever pursuit you wanted. And that's when they'll say, when I had this experience, you know, at the Eden center when I was 12 years old and I met somebody who I saw myself in and that, you know, and I think that's when you'll really get to see, you know, the, the, the impact that you're having, but yeah, that's, that's incredible stuff. Um, you know, you'd mentioned Sephora, Jen, uh, already. And, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about with that is that your product was the first indigenous beauty product to launch in Sephora. So obviously I think that's something that you're obviously extremely proud about as well. Can you talk about what that means to have accomplished that and, and how that all came about and what your plans are now, uh, to continue to kind of, uh, scale the brand? Yeah. 
Yeah, certainly. Like when I realized like globally, there's no other Sephora is the largest beauty retailer in the world. And on a global level, there are no other indigenous brands at a Sephora in any of the countries. Um, and so as you know, being and working with Sephora Canada first, it's been an incredible partnership. Um, they are certainly helping us grow and, and be the brand that will be um, what the rest of the Sephora countries would like in their stores, because our goal has always been to be a global brand. So um, we see that happening and that's the next steps is to grow first with Sephora Canada, then uh, Sephora USA is next on our, our um, sort of the next countries we want to be in. But in the meantime, we're, we are launching in the US in, in March in 600 JCPenney stores, um, which is massive. This is a much bigger opportunity than the Sephora Canada because you have to the Canadian market is so small in comparison to our our friends in the south and so um, we started out with 15 stores in Sephora Canada going into 50 and we only had five SKUs in the first launch and now we're going to have 26 in 50 stores which is also that it's a huge growth thing that's happening for us in March as well here in Canada and then in the U.S. we're launching in this it's a it's a shop and shop inside JC Penney's by an organization called 13 Loon and it's a BIPOC beauty marketplace which 95% of the founders are BIPOC and so um, it's just an incredible uh, vision built up by a founder Nikea Greco who's a black woman who's been in the beauty industry for like 20 years and just really want I'm like envisioning it like the Sephora but for the BIPOC community um, and so it's just just a great opportunity and we're really excited um, to to meet our U.S. customers we always pre-Dragon's Den, we were always like 40% U.S. uh, customer base. And so we know we have a huge audience in the U.S. And we know particularly in certain states like California, Southwest, um, Washington, and Oregon states. Um, And so we can't wait to just I'm, I'm always fascinated by like the market and where people fall in love with our brand and, and see how that happens. And so just super pumped about this opportunity because it's, it's huge. Um, and I don't, I keep saying to Nikeo and, and her team, I'm like, like, this is unbelievable for a brand of our size to have this kind of opportunity, extremely expensive, <laughs> grateful. We have incredible funding to help us back this. Cause that's a lot of inventory that's mm-hmm. not sold yet that we're working on getting out there. Um, but it'll definitely give us a massive footprint and into a space that we're really excited to grow into. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to, uh, I used to sell soup for Campbell's back in the day. And if you were to tell me we were tripling our skew on a particular line, I mean, that's, you just see dollar signs. Right. But I also take the point. um, It's so interesting when you see, uh, that sort of behavior data come back from where a product does well in particular. I always used to get obsessed with that kind of interesting data. Is that something that, that interests you too? I can kind of tell that you like seeing that sort of behavior side of the consumer, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by consumer behavior and who likes us and why they like us. And I've always, you know, I think the expectation in the early days was that people assumed we were just going to be a brand for indigenous people Mm. as a businesswoman. I think that would have been, not a best the best business decision just to target one 
in particular market. I knew from the early days when I was building our customer avatars that um, that it was a, a, a non-Indigenous audience was was who I knew we needed to attract as well as our Indigenous audience. And so when you're working on two avatars in the early days, it was very challenging, but I found it to be very exciting because it was working what we were doing. And um, it is this allied group of people, right? It's like, it, it's, it's, an, it's an audience that cares about our community just as much as we do and really mm. wants to support that. And I'm so fascinated by the Cheekbone customer because they are so loyal, so loyal. Uh, and the, the, the data and seeing who's shopping where, like we have this one customer, never met them in Chicago, like no joke, like 40 orders in the last three years. And that fascinates me, right? Like, yeah, like how did like, you hear who about is this? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, we were, we, we were talking earlier this week that we wanted to create um, a customer. Um, oh my goodness. Like a, focus group and mm. so we're actually going to reach out to some of these like longtime loyal customers super users to, to do that yeah to to get some more insights from them but i if totally fascinated by who and where um and why why they're buying from us yeah i mean it, it, it's just fascinating for me hearing about it mm. um you uh we you mentioned early on and i think i read it a bit in the bio about uh, contributions back to first nation communities i wanted if you if you wouldn't mind spending some time just on cheekbones uh, charitable goals and how you hope to scale those as you grow too. Yeah, I think we're well over the 200,000 mark, like in, in terms of cash donations and in-kind donations, it's, it's probably much higher. We haven't, um, I don't have an exact number, but I know we're working on it because we're putting out our sustainability report, which will include that, that give back information. Um, and from that original dream, last year, we were able to launch a scholarship fund, which we we're really, really proud of. Um, and we gave out one scholarship for $2,500. Um, and this year, our scholarship fund reached $22,000. And so we're actually giving out five scholarships that we'll announce um, next, I think it's Monday or Monday, it'll go live the information about who the winners are and, and what they're working on. But um, so, so stinking proud of, of that work because we really did not meet our forecast this year. Our D to, I don't know if you know anything about the D to C world, but it's like, feels like it's uh, apocalyptic. <laughs> and uh, we've really struggled in our D to C space. And so that, um, you know, we're thinking how are we going to do all these things, but I sat and after I got the, the, the message and the feedback from what we accomplished with our scholarship fund, and it was just brought me back to the reason why we exist. And I'm like, okay, don't get focused on these spreadsheets. This is why we're here. It's going to be a struggle right now, but, but we'll get there. But that we accomplished something so huge in terms of, uh, you know, I used to say in the early days before anyone was even paying attention to our brand, I'm like, can you imagine the year we'll be able to give out a hundred scholarships, right? So um, those are just part of my big vision of just being able to give out more and support and support like um, Indigenous youth that, you know, really want to get a great education, regard, regardless of what it is, too, doesn't necessarily have to be super like secular vision of education, but something that's empowering them their family, their community. Uh, and, and the more that we can support that, we are so grateful for. So as a B Corp, we had to adjust the language. Used to, we used to say we give back 10% of our profits, um, but now as a B Corp, we 
commit to 2% of annual revenues and that's not based on profit, which I mm -hmm. actually prefer. That's, well, that's incredible. Yeah. And Jen, I, I almost hesitate to ask this question now because you've just described to us like how all the things that you're doing with the expansion going into the United States, how you're, you know, growing your, your charitable goals year over year. But like, I have to ask, so like what's next for, for Jen Harper and Cheekbone Beauty besides all those incredible things you just told us about, there's gotta be, you know, something else I'm sure you're already thinking about uh, as to where you can take, you know, the company and the brand uh, in, in the coming years that you could leave us with. That you can share, of course. That you could share, of course. Yeah. 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 So I think I've like, I'm not pretty private. I've shared just about everything with you. Like we have some big campaigns planned with Sephora Canada this year. And then we also are, um, you know, working on like streamlining our product lineup and, and, and figuring out how in color it is very challenging. So if you understand SKUs now, imagine one lipstick and when we have to have so many shades like so how can we actually be more efficient and really just put the ones out in the, to the world that people love um and not have like this idea of you need 500 shades right like what is what is so it is a challenge in the color space and so i'm like how is this even so i spend a lot of my days trying to be innovative and think about and think about how we can streamline production and product development. And then um, we're working on an IRAP project. We're the recipients of some IRAP funding, which is really cool. So we're based in the Niagara region, which is mm -hmm. fruit, fruit bearing land. And we're taking waste from the, from the wine industry, um, grapes, stems and seeds and extracting active ingredients that we want to put in future products. So that kind of stuff is super exciting. Um, more exciting than the day-to-day -day looking at spreadsheets for sure. <laughs> that is so incredible. I, I don't even think, you probably don't know too much about Mike and I, but we are in applied research at uh, Cambrian College in Sudbury. And that just le leaps off the page for us because that kind of product innovation is sort of our bread and butter every day. So it's, I'm so glad, you know, IRAP's a partner of ours. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that you're, you're utilizing that, uh, the supports that we sort of shed from the rooftops in our day jobs. So uh, that's good. Are you working with an academic partner or is it uh, yeah, sort of on your um, own? No, Loyalist College. Oh, wow. In Belleville. Yeah, they've yeah. been unbelievable. So supportive, so helpful. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's so exciting, you know, when they're like, you know, you're getting the feedback and you're seeing from the students and, and the partners that are helping, like it's working. Um, <laughs> and I know it was going to work because there's a brand called Caudalie that does this in France. So I wasn't, I was, I, I knew that it would work, but what's really interesting, there's a great varietal that's um, a hybrid that's only available in the Niagara region. So I love that idea that, you know, um, this hybrid is only uh, available in our area. And we're noticing from that specific hybrid um, the actives are a lot greater. So it's really cool. Loyalist College, friend of the show. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Jen, you're so generous with us today. And uh, I know we kept you a bit longer than we said we would, but uh, thank you so much for, for sharing your journey and what you've been up to with Cheekbone Beauty. I think it's uh, such an admirable story. And, 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 you know, we wish truly you all the best in this uh, expansion you have into the United States. And, and, uh, and maybe after you conquer the world, we're, we'll have you back on uh, to, to, to come and give us a follow-up. But but thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you both. This has been a pleasure. It's great to get to meet you. Steve, 
great interview with Jen Harper. Really a pleasure. Um, it was really neat to find out at the end there that, uh, you know, that she has uh, a connection to uh, some college applied research. So see, doing I, our jobs. Doing I was going to say, like, we learned a lot of different terminologies, you know, B Corp and other things in cosmetic terms that she shared without throughout the, the, the chat. But to drop IRAP, she couldn't have dropped it to two better guys than us because that's our... I know. At first, when she said IRAP, I'm like, well, that must be some another acronym. But then she started to talk about how she was you know, utilizing uh, waste from the wine industry. I was like, that has to be the IRAP that we use and that mm -hmm. our clients use, uh, which is obviously the Industrial Research Assistance Program uh, here in Canada. So no, definitely uh, kind of geeked out a little bit at the end there. We probably could have gone into more. Uh, <laughs> but, but again, we had kept her longer than we told her we would, but... Uh, but yeah, just it was honestly just a just a great great conversation. Again, I, I think it's also unrelated to I think the important work that that Jen is doing, and I think obviously the incredible business uh, you know success that she's had and that she's going to continue to have is just I think I was obviously was not a focus of the conversation, but when she said that she's only had you know two vivid dreams in her life, uh, yeah. to think that this was one of them, I think obviously is. Uh, is is, is is saying a lot, right? Because obviously she was able to act on that dream. And I'm sure that in that dream, never would she have thought that she'd be where she is now being able to give mm -hmm. back. And I'm sure it's not going to be that far along into the future where she's able to reach that goal of a hundred scholarships a year to indigenous kids. And then I'm sure beyond uh, that, that impact will continue to grow. So again, glad that she had that dream, glad that she grabbed her computer and jotted those Indeed. notes down because uh, like I said to her in the interview that there's been, you know, I, most of my dreams don't yield good ideas, but the few that do, I, uh, I don't have a, I usually just go back to bed and you forget all about them. Right. Then maybe you'll remember like a couple days later, but it was just, it was really cool to hear how that dream obviously had staying power with her and, you know, gr great that she was able to act on it and then do what she's done. Indeed to sleep perchance to dream. Thank you everyone for joining us this week. We'll be back with more content next week. Thanks everyone. Happy Valentine's day. The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.